right downstairs right here just a moment. I'm telling you what, there's good looking on this stage this morning. I just, I just never have had that opportunity to say that, and I knew you guys would laugh, so I thought I'd start that out with that, but thanks, Dom. Yeah. After seeing that promo this week, I was watching it. Dom had sent it to me to kind of preview it. I'll tell you what, I'm getting excited about the 17th. I'm getting really excited, and I encourage anybody that wants to, to you know, I was talking to Shane last week. I said, what I'm getting excited about is it, it will just give me another tool to put in my toolbox, how to get in the presence of God. You know, at times I've struggled, I'll be the first to admit, to get in his presence, to get my mind quiet enough to get in his presence to know exactly what he wants me to do. And that's a big thing. It's a, it's a huge thing in your life. So if you have the opportunity, Shane and April are going to be in the foyer after the service. They'll be here all day with that. They have a table set up. They'll give you more information. Kind of share with it what their heart is because they were the ones that um, had spearheaded bringing him in and, and come to Pastor Ross and I and said, hey, we'd like to do this. And, and as a staff, we're going to be there because we want to really see what Eric has for us that morning. Amen? Amen. Okay. Pastor Ross is gone, and I get a chance to share. It's been about a year and a half, maybe even a little longer since I've been able to come up here. But I want to take advantage of this situation also, and thank you guys so much for sending me on that bear hunt. I hadn't been able to talk to everybody. Um, it was just such a great time. You, you also gave Tina and I extra money to take our grandkids, and, and we went to Colorado and spent time with them, and it was awesome. That bear hunt was incredible for me um, personally. The bears didn't cooperate. Um, we did not get a bear, but we had a great time up there. And uh, spending two days you know, in a drive with, with Pastor Ross and Barry was amazing too. And, and it was just fun to spend time with brothers. But what happened there was a little bit different. I should have known it would happen this way. I should have known it was going to happen this way. We drove 18 hours to where we hunted. And so we get there and you're thinking, I'm on a bear hunt. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be vacation. This is going to be amazing. And by the third day, we were sitting there with 12 other guys on this deck, and we're taking and um, just shooting the breeze about hunting and different things and archery and who they are and who we are. And I'm standing here, and the deck's down there, and, and just about eight feet from me, I look over, and Pastor Ross has got his arm around this guy, and his face is just filled with tears. And ministry started happening. You know, God told us he was taking us up there. I thought we were going for a vacation. And he said, I'm going to have you do ministry while you're there. We ended up meeting some of the nicest guys. And now we have relationships with them. We have one guy that every week we get a text after the service because he's watching it on live stream. And he's commenting on the messages. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So you guys were part of that ministry. Wherever I am, it seems like God seems to put somebody in front of me. I want to share with you today a little bit about how God spoke to my heart that week. I don't settle down. I don't slow down very often. So when I get slow in a, in a tree stand, he gets an opportunity to really speak into my heart. And I just want to take a moment, if it's okay with you guys, and kind of share what he spoke to me on that week. Are we good with that? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we just praise you. We thank you so much for your love and just the way you... You just give to us. You bless us. You take care of us. Lord, I thank you for this family that you've brought us into here and everybody coming in and the worship we had this morning, the way the Holy Spirit flows. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that it wouldn't be my words, but your words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, you guys are going to have to give me a little liberty this morning because I've got to explain a book I was reading, and it's kind of wacky, and I'm going to let you into my mind a little bit, and please don't hold it against me once I tell you what I was reading and how it went. But a lot of times on vacation, I get a book, and like I say, I don't slow down very often. So I get a book, and I dive into it, and I just read it. And, and this book was a, a book it has been out for a while. It's called The Big Short. It is nowhere a Christian book. There, you wouldn't even say it's a Christian book. But it was about the housing market crash. How many people in here would say they, they have a little bit of conspiracy theorists in them? Anybody? Oh, man. Let me put it this way. When the government bails out big business, I have a little bit of conspiracy theorists in me. I want to know what's going on. And that's what this book was. It was a book, and they actually made a movie of it. It's called The Big Short, like I said. And they made a movie of it, and it, the whole book was about the housing industry and how people made millions and billions of dollars betting against the housing market. So it kind of went like this. This is where you're going to have to give me a little liberty because my mind even had a hard time getting a hold of this a, a little bit. But you and I, we go to the mortgage company or the bank, and we buy a mortgage, right? And we get our mortgage, and instantly they sell the mortgage sometimes. We get a letter in the mail sometimes saying, hey, you got to send your check to this now, not where you got it. Understandable. Well, then what happened was the, the other people who bought the mortgages, they decided it'd be a great deal to take all these mortgages, compress them into a bond, and put it out on the open market. Guys following that? Yeah, okay. So when they did that, they ended up taking and, and putting these bonds out on the open market, and they'd put them in different sectors, and then they'd grade them as A's, B's, C's, A's being less risky, B's being more risky, this way. And then what they ended up doing was somebody said, hey, I got a better idea. I'm going to sell insurance to the person who buys the bond just in case that housing market crashes, they can have some insurance and they'll get their money. Well, then somebody else decided to corrupt the system even more and they found out that they could buy the insurance without owning the bond. So what they were doing was taking our financial market and they were taking it to Vegas basically and they were betting against everybody having defaulted mortgages as we know by history what happened we had a lot of defaulted mortgages there was one guy that seen that coming more than anybody else and this is what I'm getting to here this guy by the name of Michael Burry he was a really strange character he would sit in his office and he had the great ability of going over paperwork and reading for extended hours. Of, you know, he was almost a recluse, they said. He wouldn't, wouldn't wear shoes. He'd sit in his office. He'd read for 18 hours at a time and not see anybody. Just dive into this information, trying to figure out what bonds were going to fail or what companies, why their stock was so low. And what he ended up doing was he did what nobody else wanted to do. He spent time getting into the backstory of the stocks and bonds and the backstories of these companies. So if the stock was low, he would research and find out why that stock was low. What he was finding out, if it was a pharmaceutical, maybe they were trying to get the FDA to pass a drug and they were in a court battle and that was holding their stock down, and he'd find out that the court battle was going along good, and he would bet that they would get their approval, invest in their stock, and make a bunch of money. You see how that's going? Digging in. And he did this 
over and over again. What he did was he found out what was in these tracks of bonds, and he figured out that they were rating them wrong, and they were going to fail. So he ended up invested. He didn't make millions with an S. He made billions of dollars by doing that. That's a tad bit more than what I'll make, just a small bit. But what I found fascinating is we'll fast forward now to the bear hunt, and we're sitting in a tree, and, and I'm not kidding you at all. This tree I was sitting in, these guys hadn't done bow hunters very, very much, you know, and, and uh, Pastor Ross was laughing. Remember, I was going to be eaten by a bear because I was going to be on the ground. Well, when I got there, they sucked me in a stand up in a tree. This tree was this big, and my stand the, that hooked to the tree was that far from the tree when it was strapped on. So when I got up in there and the wind would blow, I'd be sitting here like this. But also what happened was when I sit here, if I sit for a long time at home, it's three hours. When you sit in Canada, it's seven hours, seven hours straight, and they tell you we're not very good at hiding you, so don't move. So for seven hours, I'm sitting on this pad like this. Well, you guys can imagine by the second day, my butt was sore. And I couldn't move. My legs got sore. I was carrying different pads to the stand trying to get comfortable. But the only thing I could do also was two things. I could either sit and pray and talk to God and listen. Or I could take and run that goofy book over and over and over in my mind and try and figure out why in the world did nobody see that coming and straighten that out. See, you guys, I told you I was going to let you into my mind. I, I read some goofy stuff. But it was interesting to me. But what happened to me, I didn't see it coming, is I would sit and I would pray, and I'd talk about to God about numerous things that were going on, things that I wanted to pray to him about, questions I needed answers on, whatever was going on. And then what happened is God asked me a question. I wasn't ready for that question, but this is how God works in my mind and in my life, and hopefully it helps some of you guys out also. I was sitting there thinking about that book and going over that Michael Burry and how in the world could somebody read 18 hours? How in the world... Could somebody sit in his office by himself, not seeing anything, but just paperwork, trying to figure out the backstory to things? And then the Lord spoke to my heart just as clear as it was a verbal voice sitting up there. And he said, would you ever put that much effort into somebody else? Would you ever put that much effort into people? Would you ever sit and try and figure out the backstory of somebody. And so for the next, basically, three nights of sitting there, I wrestled with that question. Would I take the time out of my day? Would I sacrifice my time to dive in so deeply and spend so many hours of time to figure out somebody's backstory so that I could help them find their Savior. You know, this message is 80-20 faith. I think this is part of that 20%. Will we go the 100%? Will we take time to find out who people are, or do we just kind of walk by it and, and never ask that question? So that was the question that, that the Lord just kept asking me. Was I willing to do it, and was I willing to look at people and see the value in people through God's eyes and not through the world's eyes. Yeah, 
That was a tough question for me sitting up there. Was I willing to take the time to look at people through God's eyes and see that they're valuable because they have a Father in heaven just like I do? They just need to get into the position of knowing who he is. They need to be introduced to him. The introduction needs to be there. And so this is what was going through my mind for the next three days. And the amazing thing, the thing I, I, really, I really love about it is he started asking me this, this question. I'm going to ask you guys the question too. He started asking me, what was the first thought I had when I seen people that weren't in my social group, that didn't look like me, that didn't act like me, that really didn't run in my, my friendship group. What was the first thing I thought? Was the first thing I thought that, that they need Jesus and I need to, to know why they're doing what they're doing? Because everybody has a backstory. Who has history in their life? Yeah, who, who would be willing to raise their hand and say, history dictates kind of what we act like in the future? And that's what I find a lot. If I, if I can get with people and if I can dig and dive and, and, and talk to them enough, I can figure out what's going on there. And then I can try and get them to know that the Savior covers that. So he started asking me that question. And it was, you know, what do I think of when I see somebody not out in my social, somebody I wouldn't normally associate with? First thing he asked me was, Paul, would you walk to the other side of the street? to get away from them? And then he started asking me, if they're in a room, if you're in a room with them, would you go to the other side of the room so you don't have to talk to them because they're not like you? They're not the same. Those were some tough, difficult questions for me. So, do I want to know what their story is? And do I want to spend time? You know, John 14, 26 says this, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's what happened in that stand. You know, that scripture became more alive to me because I'm sitting up there. I have no phone service. At least here, if I'm hunting, I have phone service. If Michigan's playing, I can watch the game while I'm hunting. It makes a lot of sense, but it works. But I'm sitting up there and I have no phone service, no Bible, can't read. And all of a sudden, these scriptures start just flooding into my mind as the Holy Spirit, that advocate, starts bringing it back to me. And he brought back the, the story of Barnabas and Paul and what Barnabas did for Paul. And it starts out in Acts 9, 26 through 27. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, meaning Paul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Paul. We all know this story. Everybody knows this story. Saul turned to Paul, was on the road to Damascus. But what was he before he became Paul? He was a murderer. He threw people in jail, Christians. He held the cloaks and the... the, the coats for the guys who stoned Stephen. It's amazing reclamation that God did with him. But could you blame the disciples when they seen him coming? Could you blame them? Not or one. That would have been one of the ones that I would have went to the other side of the street. Now, I don't want to hang around with him. He's not from my territory. He's, he's not the guy that I want to be with. But Barnabas, he had a different idea. 
he dug into his story. He found out who Paul was. He found out what was going on. He was led by the Spirit. And he went to those guys and said, hey, this dude has changed. He has the same Savior that we do, and he deserves to be with us. His history does not matter. It's his future that counts. Amen? Our history does not matter. Once I say the, the Lord's Prayer and, and I accept Christ, all that other stuff is behind me. And I am so glad of that. Then if we pick it up a little while later, this is a cool thing about Barnabas, and this is why that scripture kept running back to me and the Lord kept showing me that Barnabas went out of the way. He kept giving me examples of how Barnabas did it. And in Acts 15, 36 through 40, we were, we're kind of jumping ahead, but Paul and Barnabas had been on their first missionary journey, and they're, they're getting ready to head out to their second journey, and, and they get into a little tiff, a little disagreement. And this is starting in 36. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Now that's amazing to me. Did, that For one thing, it's amazing to me that, that the Bible is so great for us and so open to us even when two Christian brothers had a disagreement, and they say a sharp disagreement, Luke didn't write that out. He left it there for us to see. He left it there for us to understand that sometimes we're going to disagree about people. Sometimes that we're going to disagree with brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's okay. It's okay to disagree. But what Barnabas did again was he seen the backstory of Mark. He seen the value of Mark. Now, he's working with the Spirit, and the Spirit's telling him that that's going to be valuable, that he's going to have a value in his life. So if we jump down into 2 Timothy 4.11, we see that that came to fruition. And Paul's saying, only Luke is with me. Let Mark bring, or get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in, his, in my ministry. So we see the full turn there where Mark was left out. Paul didn't want anything to do with him. But all of a sudden, Mark is very valuable to him, and he wants him by his side. And it's all because of a certain person named Barnabas that took the chance, that dug in, that listened to God, and changed somebody's life and stuck with him. You know, God's word is full of people that were proven by their second chances. Amen? Amen. You know, Jesus looks past the appearance and looked at the soul of the inner being. You know, the greatest thing about that word that God was bringing back, the Holy Spirit was bringing back to me in the stand, is that's the same Holy Spirit that was speaking to Barnabas. And if you accept Christ, you have that Spirit living inside of you. And you can rely on Him to bring that, just like the Scripture said, into remembrance for you of what He said and done. You know, Barnabas was allowing them with the Spirit to seek God's value in people and not just human value. And we have that Spirit living in us. I'm going to take and close on a little bit of a longer story here, but, you know, years ago, this is another thing that the Holy Spirit brought up to me while I was 
in that stand. Years ago, Tina and I were running a youth group, and uh, there was a girl by the name of Mandy that was in our youth group. And uh, one of the Wednesday nights, we were standing there, and I had given the message. And she come up to me after the message, and she said, uh, Pastor Paul, she said, would you take and come and pray for my dad in the hospital? He's having open-heart surgery on Friday. And, and at that time, I had never met Mandy's dad, and, uh, and really she'd been coming with another friend that went to the church. And so I did what every good youth pastor said. I said, sure, I'll go. Yep, I'll be there. What time? And it's like 6 o'clock in the morning on Friday morning. And then I called the senior pastor because I'd never, at that point, never had done a hospital visit in my entire life. So I asked Jonathan, I said, hey, can you go with me? And he said yes, and I was glad he did. Because we got to the hospital that day, and we go into the pre-op, and uh, Bert, like I said, Bert's having open-heart surgery, and he's laying there waiting to go into surgery. And we come around the corner, and we have Mandy and her mom standing there, which I'd never met. And I introduced myself, so did Jonathan. We introduced ourselves to Bert, and he started swearing. I mean, I've always heard this saying, he cusses like a, a sailor. I don't know what that means, but if there's something, Bert would use a cuss word, at least every other word, and sometimes every word in the sentence. And as a pastor, I come walking around the corner, and I didn't get saved till I was 24, so believe me, I've heard all that, heard every word that he was saying. But I come around the corner, and when he started cussing, I was taken back. I was like, okay, now what do we do? Pastor White never missed a beat introduced himself, started praying for Bert, praying that the Lord would take and, take and be with the surgeon, praying that the Lord would keep him safe through the surgery, that he would give the family peace, that he would have a speedy recovery. And we turned around that day and we walked out and I'm kind of chuckling, Pastor White's kind of chuckling, and he starts teaching me what it is about hospital visits and how sometimes that's going to happen. Really, the only thing that was going through my mind was, Boy, I met Bert, and that's the last time I'll see that man. I can guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. But you know how the Lord works. The following Wednesday, Mandy come up to me and told me your dad was doing great, and he was home, and he wanted a visit. Would you go visit with him? Will you go pray for him? So I started this journey with Bert. What I found out the first night I went out there and sat down at Bert's kitchen table and started talking to him, and I had it in my mind, I'm going out there. This dude got prayed for. He's ready for Christ. I'm telling you what, I'm going in, and he's going to be saved, and this is going to be a short, short visit. <laughs> I got out there, and Bert starts telling me about how he was in the war and that uh, he'd went through a lot and seen a lot in the war, and he, he was 100% certain he had killed people. 100% certain that he had hurt people. And then he started sharing his history of his life and how he, he just kept saying, I wasn't a good person at all, Paul. I'm just telling you, I want you to know that I wasn't a good person. And, and I was like, Bert, how bad can it be? And he said, I work for some people. And he went, people. I was like, okay, people what? What'd you do? He said, I picked up money and I delivered money. And if people didn't have money, I sent a message. He said, I work for people beating people up, hurting people. He said, I was evil. I wasn't a good person at all. And so, I'm the youth pastor. I'm going to save this guy. So I start speaking the word into Bert. And that night, I told him everything. I told him that God can forgive him. 
I shared the Romans road with him. If you can share the Romans road with somebody, they're supposed to pray for salvation. And I shared it with him. That's what was supposed to happen that night. I walked out of that house so rejected it wasn't even funny because Bert said, no, God will never, ever forgive me. He can't forgive me for what I've done. So I was driving home, and I'm going, okay, Lord, I tried. Gave it my best shot. You're going to have to send in a closer because obviously I wasn't hit. <laughs> a week went by, and I get a phone call from Bert. Hey, can you come back over to the house? I get in the car, go back to the house, hear how he was in the war and killed people, how he beat people out, how he was an evil person. I went back through the Romans road with him, showed him all the scripture. I prayed with him, didn't accept Christ. I walked out of the house dejected, said, Lord, you're really going to have to send somebody in because I'm not making any sense out of this at all. Two years, I made trips to Bert's house. Every single time I get in the car, you should have seen the fight I had with God. I'm telling you, if you could have seen it, if I had a dash cam pointing back and you could have seen the fight I was having with God, you would have laughed. The people coming at me was probably laughing because I'm throwing my hands in the air while I'm driving and I'm saying, God, I don't know why you're sending me out there because this guy is not going to accept you ever. He's just, he's messed up, Lord. There's no way that you're going to get burnt. No way. I'd go out there. And I'd go four steps back and one step forward. And at this time, this is what my schedule looked at at that time. I worked 50 plus hours a week at the job I had. We ran a youth group that was quite large, Tina and I did. I coached high school baseball for Nuevo High School. And in my, in my, in my spare time, I trained hitters and pitchers. I had 14 kids going on a rotation that I, I worked with in the evenings. So I was a little busy. And I would head out there and I'd go, Lord, I'm way too busy for this. I don't have time to do what you want me to do. And you know what the Lord kept telling me? You're going. You're going. He didn't share with me that Bert would ever be saved. But he did tell me to go. So I'd get in the car and I'd run out there. And then it happened. Two years into it, I roll into Bert's house one night. I sit down and I didn't even open my mouth. And he said, I'm ready to pray for God. He said, I'm ready to make Jesus my Savior. So I was able to pray with Bert that night so that he would accept Christ. Two weeks later, four of us hauled this big old hot tub up on top of the pulpit, and we baptized Bert in the church in a hot tub. Most amazing thing that I've done. It was awesome to see a man who didn't think he was good enough to accept that Christ would ever forgive him is in heaven now. Somebody that there ain't no way I would have ever been around Bert. Language was too bad. Crazy stories were nuts. I just wouldn't have ever been around him. But that's what that's what God was talking to me about in that tree saying I hadn't thought about Bert in years I hadn't even crossed my mind but he brings back that scripture of Barnabas and shows me how much Barnabas cared and then he brings back in my own life of somebody that I was able to take and put time into that actually was able to go on and accept Christ as a savior you know I'd 
got thinking about it, I realized that I'd forgotten not what my job is, but what my purpose was. In my busy life, I'd forgotten. I'd become very cynical that people are just going to be people. God's only going to change the good people, people that would walk in the door of the churches because they're searching for him. So while I sat in that tree, God asked me whether I was whether I was ready to start putting people first again. So I asked him how. He said, sacrifice my time. I asked him when. He said, when the Spirit tells you, don't go alone. Don't do it. And I said, where? And he said, anywhere, everywhere, every time I send you. You know, in that scripture, John 14, 26, it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and he will remind you of everything that I've said to you. You know, the scripture is a great comfort for me because I know I don't have to go out there and I don't have to do it on my own. He'll be with me. So since I've been back from bear hunting, since I've been back in the real world, this prayer is something that I've been praying all the time because I feel sometimes very inadequate Lord, make me a better soul winner. Make me one of those people that, that can sit down and talk to people. Show them your word. Show them your love. And allow it to take and change their life so drastically that they can see that they need a Savior and that you're there. And that you can forgive every last thing that's in their history, in their past, and give them a better future. And I guess that's the 20% when God was laying this message on my heart. And, and you should have seen a few weeks ago, Pastor Ross got really close in this track on one of his messages. And on Monday morning, I said, boy, you almost preached into my message. And he said, it doesn't matter. Keep preaching. Preach what the Lord laid on your heart. So I did. And the Lord's just taught me again that people have value not in my eyes, but in his eyes. So that question today for that 20%, would you be willing to give more of your time? Would you be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit? And would you be willing to make a, a big, huge difference for the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you give us all the tools that we need to win souls for you to love people like you want us to. Holy Spirit, come and show us the people that are hurting and need to know there is a Savior for them. Father, help us to see the people that need you. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a self-sacrificing attitude that we would want to take and go the extra mile. I ask Holy Spirit, talk to us new and fresh. Give us patience, strength, and wisdom. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we never want a service to go by without giving somebody the opportunity to, 
to know Christ, to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's what we're going to do right now. If you're sitting here today and you think, man, I've never accepted him and I want that Holy Spirit to speak to my heart. If you want that, if you want to accept Christ today, just lift a hand up where you're sitting. Raise it high so that we can see it, so the ushers can see it. And if you're at home this morning, I can't see your hand, but I know God can. And if you want to take and accept Christ, just raise your hand up right where you're sitting. You know, this decision is twofold. First, you have to believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he defeated the grave and rose again so that you can have life and so that you can be free from sin. And the second part is since you have believed that, your, heart, your life should declare it. You should declare with your words and actions that Jesus is Lord of your life. So it's not only raising your hand and accepting, but it's changing our lives also. So if you've done that this morning, I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer together. But if you've done that this morning and you want to talk to somebody, I'll be in the foyer right after this service. Come up and talk to me about that decision. So let's go ahead and all pray together. Repeat after me. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, to rise again so I could be saved. I was a sinner and I need forgiveness. Thank you for giving it to me. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I choose to rely on you every day of my life. Lead me, guide me, speak to me as I live for you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.